0: Early on the morning of last Friday, cameras pictured a man stalking around the back of Nancy Pelosi's home on a hilltop in San Francisco. One of the cameras showed this man with a hammer that you could actually see that clearly. And then it shows him pushing through and breaking through a back door into the home.
1: Aaron Davis is an investigative reporter for The Post. Since this attack five days ago, he has been piecing together what went wrong at the home of Nancy Pelosi.
0: 3,000 miles away here in Washington, D.C., a couple blocks from the Capitol. All of this is streaming on screens in the command center of the Capitol Police. But there are a lot of screens. There are a whole bank of screens, and they're not always showing what's going on everywhere. There's 1,800 cameras feeding into this command center, and one officer happens to catch in the darkness there's flashing strobe lights from another camera outside the front of Nancy Pelosi's home. That officer begins to track back, looking at the minutes before. 30 minutes earlier begins to replay this whole incident. There it is on camera. Someone had broken into the House Speaker's home, the second in line to the presidency. And in that time, had attacked her husband, beat him over the head with a hammer. And San Francisco police were trying to revive him out front.
1: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, November 2nd. We are taking you inside the investigation into the attack at Nancy Pelosi's home. There are still so many questions about what could have been done to prevent it. And today, we're going to talk to Aaron about the very real limits of trying to protect members of Congress as they're facing more threats than ever before. So, Aaron, after David DePapp, the, the guy who was accused of this attack, after he entered the Pelosi home, what do we know about what happened then?
0: So we've learned over the course of a couple charging documents that have been released first by federal prosecutors and this week by the San Francisco district attorney. Paul Pelosi sleeping in bed just after 2 a.m. and awakens to David DePapp over top of him shaking him and asking him, where's Nancy? Are you Paul Pelosi? Where's Nancy? One hand, he has the hammer, and the other hand, he has zip ties. And according to these charging documents in the San Francisco District Attorney, Paul Pelosi quickly comes to and makes multiple attempts to call for help. He tries to, it sounds like, lunge into a... Uh, elevator in the home where there's a phone to call for help. He's blocked by DePap. At another point, he somehow makes his way into his bathroom where his cell phone, according to the document, is charging, calls 911. And there's this very tortured conversation that takes place between the dispatcher and Pelosi and then DePap, who comes in realizing that he's on the phone with police. And Pelosi... Uh, says there's someone here looking for my wife. Can you please connect me to Capitol Police? Because they're the ones that are usually here protecting my wife. And the Pap seems to be agitated, according to the documents, and says, you know, "Tell him everything's fine." And and Pelosi kind of uh, complies and says, "I'm fine. I don't. You know, don't send police or fire. Everything's okay. There's just someone here." And the Pap says, "Tell him I'm a friend." Plus, he says, uh, yeah, he uh, says he's a friend of Nancy waiting for my wife. Um, but he also wants me to get the hell off the phone. And so, you know, this was the strange dialogue that went on during this 911 call that prompted the operator uh, to say something is amiss here. And you know this was a put in a, first as a well-being check, but she was the one who elevated it and, you know, to a priority call, meaning this was lights and sirens to the home. and they got there minutes later and then found De Pap and Pelosi there
1: and then at some point, D- De Pap actually attacks Pelosi, right? like what what happens there um and 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 how does this episode conclude?
0: According to the charging documents that were filed uh, this week in San Francisco, we, we now have a much clearer picture of what happened in those moments uh, after the 911 call. Paul Pelosi and David DePap make their way down the stairs, and then they end up in the entranceway of the home on Broadway Street when there's a loud knock at the door from police. Paul Pelosi apparently lunges and opens the door so that police can see what's inside. At that point in time, a fairly bizarre scene of this 82 year old man standing there. in what we've never told is boxer shorts and a pajama top holding the hammer with one hand. And David DePap has a hold of the hammer also. And police say, drop the hammer. Paul Pelosi seems to answer the police's command and drops the hammer. David DePap does not. And then pulls back and strikes Paul Pelosi. And we understand in the head striking him with and injuring his skull.
1: How, how is mr pelosi doing now
0: well uh, we we've, we've learned more details about the you know the, those moments afterward uh, where he was uh, apparently knocked unconscious for 3 minutes that he woke up in a pool of his own blood there in the entranceway paramedics took him to san francisco general hospital and he was in intensive care and to be honest the speaker's office has been very tight about his status just saying he's recovering and making strides every day. Last we knew is that he was still in intensive care.
1: So what's happening now with DePap? He's in custody. What has he been charged with? What do we know about him?
0: David DePap has been charged with a whole host of felonies at this point. If you look at the federal charges which came out first, they're very much focused about what he intended to do, but didn't have the ability to do to Nancy Pelosi, should she have been there. Uh, But also that he attacked a member, family member of a federal officer. So federally, he's charged with uh, attempted kidnapping of the House Speaker and uh, the attack on Paul Pelosi. Locally, he's charged with attempted homicide of Paul Pelosi, as well as elder abuse and breaking and entering and all of those uh, ancillary charges.
1: And I assume that he's pleaded not guilty so far.
0: He has pleaded not guilty, a public defender. This week he had his first appearance in San Francisco uh, court and his uh, public defender has entered a plea of not guilty on all of these uh, local charges. Uh, There will be many more court hearings to come.
1: So Aaron, explain to me, why this is a big deal? Because I think a lot of people might have seen uh, this attack on the news and think of it something like, you know, if, if a celebrity was attacked by some random person um, and, and why it's different that this is the husband of the Speaker of the House and, and what that means and what the implications are for our government.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's troubling on a couple levels. Um, there's been a huge shift in, you know, almost avalanche of threats against these members of Congress. And I don't think we've quite caught up yet to the kind of security that may be required for all of these members of Congress going forward. In 2016, there were 900 threats total over the course of a year against all 535 members of Congress. Last year was 9,600 wow. threats.
1: 900 to 9,000? 9,
0: right. And so the, the numbers are just off the charts. And the single most threatened, uh, repeatedly threatened lawmaker is Nancy Pelosi. She's been demonized by Republicans, uh, called out specifically by former president Trump repeatedly as, you know, this nexus of, of democratic power and therefore, you know, all things bad in Washington, according to the far right. and. The the federal charging documents and the local documents make clear that this is not just a random attack, but this was someone who was influenced to go and try to, as he says, talk to Nancy Pelosi and if she didn't tell him the truth, if she continued to lie to him, he was gonna break her kneecaps so that she had to be wheeled back into Congress and that would be a, a sign to other Democrats that they had to stop telling lies. And, you know, he said that uh, he was, uh, Democrats he felt were pushing out all this misinformation from Washington. So it's a political attack, right? And secondly, it's also an attack that Capitol Police and no one else saw coming because for all of the many things that this individual, David DePapa, has written online and we've we've looked at them and they're very dark and it's very anti-Semitic, it's racist, it's, uh, you know, conspiracy theories down the rabbit holes on election uh, fraud and other things. There was not a single mention of Nancy Pelosi in Mm. more than 400 writings that we've looked through.
1: And so that's why it wouldn't have necessarily triggered a red flag or something like that, because it wasn't about Pelosi, and so you wouldn't expect that he would show up at her house.
0: Exactly. So you've got 9,000 threats, and this wasn't even one of them. And this is the guy who comes to the Speaker's house and breaks in in the middle of the night. So how many more potential threats are out there against lawmakers? And that's something that my colleagues who cover Congress, you know, have had a lot of conversations with members of the House and Senate in the last few days, and they really do uh, take this very seriously. If it can To Nancy Pelosi, they feel it can happen to them.
1: After the break, what Capitol Police say they can and cannot do about these threats to lawmakers. We'll be right back.
2: monarchmoney.com slash podcast.
1: So, Aaron, you said that there are 9,000 threats against lawmakers, many of them or perhaps even most of them against Nancy Pelosi. So given that fact, you would think that Capitol Police would be more prepared for something like this?
0: Well, uh, to hear Capitol Police say it and they you know, they have this bubble around her as best they can. When she's traveling, they're with her. When she's in in, their, in her home, you know, they check out the home. She goes in. They stay there the whole time, and they monitor things continuously. And when she leaves, it's not that. It's a family member. He's, you know, Paul Pelosi, though her husband, is not a protectee of the U.S. Capitol Police, does not have a, you know— dignitary protection status, um, the way that say the first lady would have, um, uh, obviously her house is not the white house. It's a private residence. And, you know, there are 535 private residences of lawmakers. And I think we're going to see a, a you know, discussion going forward of you know, what is the uh, requirements, security requirements uh, federally, should local police be asked in the various jurisdictions to keep tabs on these lawmakers' homes. Um, these are not cheap endeavors, you know, to monitor continuously uh, someone's home would require a significant amount of staff, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just in personnel. Um, you know, there is, there is this other layer, which is that some of this is still on the lawmakers and on their own families to protect themselves in so much as they've been encouraged to get home security systems. They've, uh, in fact, they've been told they can get $10,000 reimbursements for security around doors and and motion sensors and and distress buttons and those things all installed in their homes. And this is just in recent months. And so a lot of lawmakers have not yet availed themselves of that money to do so. They've also been allowed for a number of years now to use up to a few thousand dollars of their campaign money Hmm. uh, to hire for security. You know, after the attacks uh, against Gabriel Giffords and then um, Representative Scalise, that they could install security systems that the federal government would pay for in their district offices. So you've, you've got their district offices, you've got their home offices, you've got their homes in DC, you've got, you know, all the transit in between all over the country to have each of them have the kind of security bubble, even close to it that Pelosi would have would be a, just an extraordinary amount of money. And that's not even close to what the president or, you know, yeah. other secret service guys like needs.
1: What has Capitol Police said about this incident and also about your reporting around the security cameras, why there was a camera feed that was in possession of Capitol Police, who I think in theory could have been monitoring that and that they didn't catch this, that they didn't see this guy entering the Pelosi household and that they only realized after San Francisco police showed up that something was going on?
0: The Capitol Police officials we spoke to, in some ways, call this a success. That they, within a matter of minutes, they did see what was going on, and and then they could dial in and and you know help with this investigation. You know, they say that they are just, of course, not equipped and do not actively monitor when she's not there. But you know, for folks on the Hill who have, have known about the threats of again, it's you know Speaker Pelosi for a long time. One turning point here, it was five days before January 6th, the attack on the Capitol, there was a kind of a serious vandalism incident simultaneously at the Speaker's home in San Francisco and at uh Senate uh, leader McConnell's home. Both of them had like blood smeared on their homes and this seemed to have been someone upset about the lack of stimulus money, COVID stimulus money and uh, there was a, literally a pig's head, and blood uh, dripped down the her her oh uh, driveway. I,
1: I cannot imagine
0: and that was the incident The next day there was a San Francisco police cruiser outside of Nancy Pelosi's home. And so even on January sixth, there was a cruiser already there. and for months afterward, they maintained that kind of level of vigilance that seemed to have uh, you know fallen by the wayside in San Francisco, both locally. And then, you know, there was never, the, it seems, the full-time security monitoring you might have expected after that incident. You know, nationwide, it's not going to be an easy task for any jurisdiction to pick up the slack.
1: So it seems like there are these dual needs happening at the same time, right, that there is now, I think, a pretty reasonable case to be made that Nancy Pelosi, that people in leadership need more protection so that things like this can happen in the future. And at the same time, other co- members of Congress are making this argument of like, actually, we just need to expand the number of elected leaders who get this kind of protection, because even what Nancy Pelosi gets is way more than what our average rank and file member of Congress gets. And, and it feels like this is a moment between January 6th, this attack, other attacks, it seems reasonable to think that there, that a member of Congress could get murdered at some point because of this lack of adequate protection. So, what's the answer here? I mean, what what is the solution?
0: There's been some discussion already about in, uh, including funding and what will be a, a new omnibus uh, spending bill that will have to pass before the end of the year question is how much, and how do you begin to allocate this kind of funding? You know, we're already talking about a billion dollars was uh, was put toward security around the Capitol in the wake of January 6th. If you remember, the discussions then were so far from where we were then, in the days after January 6th, they were talking about, well, there's these old win- 100-year-old windows we need to replace, and we need to have better locking mechanisms on doors in the Capitol. All that was kind of hardened infrastructure improvements around the Capitol grounds. You know, now we're dealing with uh, you know 535 different targets, moving targets, and how do you uh, protect them? I do think we've already heard about discussions that you know what would be the threshold in which a lawmaker would re- would receive bodyguard type protection. What should be done when they're back in their jurisdictions? Should there be money that's uh, you know allocated to local police? Jurisdictions to help staff and protect them at different events. Um, there's not an easy answer for what where we go from here. You know, yesterday the Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger uh, put out a statement, a fairly unusual statement for a police chief in the wake of the attack at Pelosi's home, and said, "It's the political, uh, this, the level of political discourse in this country means that we're going to have to." add more security for members of Congress. You know, inside, I know that the police department wrestled a little bit with making this statement.
1: Uh, I mean, am I reading between the lines here saying that he's kind of calling out Republicans or calling out some of the vitriol that we're hearing from lawmakers themselves?
0: I think they're calling out both sides. You know, certainly if you wanted to count up the number of inflammatory statements lately, The balance goes towards Republicans uh, saying some things against lawmakers that are really, you know, have violent undertones or even overtones or clear, clearly violent. Democrats sometimes do the same thing. And and it really was, I believe, uh, the police chief, the Capitol police chief saying, if we do not somehow take down the level of political discourse and cool it down a little bit. The Capitol Police are going to be drowning in threats against lawmakers, and there will be no way uh, to mitigate that.
1: Aaron Davis is an investigative reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Rani Svarnovsky, who also mixed the episode. It was edited by Irina Flores. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. We have had a lot of coverage in Post Reports about the midterms, and also about the threats and attacks that lawmakers have been facing during this election cycle. If you missed our show about Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal and how she has handled threats to her and her family's safety, I highly recommend going back and listening. I'll put a link to that in our show notes and at PostReports.com. I'm Martine Powers, thankful for all the guest hosts that have been taking the reins on the show for the last week. Now I'm back, and I'll be here tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. ¶¶